Welcome to Victory Christian Center. You're about to hear from our senior pastor, Pastor Stefan Schlugel, as he brings a message on a Sunday The title service. of this morning's message is A Call to Prayer and Fasting. A Call to Prayer and Fasting. Um, and the subtitle is Adding Fasting to Our Prayers. Uh, and the reason why we put that subtitle there is because many Christians pray. Not, not all, but many, many Christians pray. But, uh, but I believe that our prayers become more effective when we add fasting to our prayers. And I want to speak to you along these lines this morning. Uh, we've been speaking about prayer for just a few weeks now. We had Prophet Lane with us who opened up this whole subject following on from our campaign where we spoke about faith and we're now speaking about prayers and we'll see what the Lord leads us uh, to speak about in weeks to come. But I trust that your hearts are ready, your spirits are open because I believe that God wants to minister a word uh, into our lives that will help us. Matthew chapter 17, verse 14 uh, through to verse 21, and I'm reading here from the New King James Version. It says here that when they had come uh, to the multitude, a man came to Jesus, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's an epileptic and severely suffering. Uh, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. And Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and he came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast him out or cast it out? So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, and you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. All right, so we have this uh, passage of Scripture here uh, that speaks about an incident where a, a father, a family man, brought his demon-possessed boy to Jesus' disciples because he'd heard about that deliverance is taking place and that Jesus, as well as his disciples, are able to cast demons out. Uh, and this man recognized that there wasn't just some psychological issue going on or, for that matter, some physical, some medical issue going on. He says he has a demon. He says he has a spirit. Um, and so Jesus' disciples tried to cast the demon out, but they were unsuccessful. Now, of course, they've been in other places that cast out other devils, and they were okay with that. But in this instance, they couldn't cast the devil out. Um, and so Jesus um, exchanged a few words with them. Uh, if you were to use those words today, you could empty out half a church right there. Um, because Jesus was very blunt and very straightforward. He says, oh, faithless and perverse generation. All right. Uh, today, people get offended with these things. But how many know that Jesus doesn't care uh, about people getting offended? He's just trying to help us, uh, trying to motivate us to get into the faith and to develop a strong faith. All right. Now, that went down like a lip balloon. So I'm going to preach to this crowd over here now. And... Uh, 
You know, Jesus ended up rebuking the demon, uh, and he cast it out. And the Bible says that the boy was cured from that moment forward. So in this case, it speaks about curing and healing, but, you know, healing and deliverance are very much intertwined. Uh, sometimes before people can be, can be healed, they need to be delivered because uh, the medical condition in their life isn't just a medical condition. It's been invoked by a demon spirit in their lives. And today's message is not so much to speak about demons, even though we should speak about demons, because, you know, in the Western societies, we've become so educated. Now we've got universities, and we've got professors, and we've got experts that say there is no such thing. But the Bible says there is. All right. The Bible says there is. And people, uh, one, a friend of mine said, where have all the demons gone? Well, they're still around today. <laughs> they're still oppressing people. They're still harassing people. They're still lying to people. They're still, uh, you know, possessing people and so forth. So they're still around today. So Jesus spoke to his disciples, and when they said to him, he says, why could we not cast him out? We saw you just cast it out, but we couldn't cast him out. Why could we not do that? And Jesus told his disciples that the reason for their inability to expel the demon was their unbelief. Now, here would, you would empty out the other half of the church right there. Um, <laughs> yes, it's like in, in verse 20 in the New King James Version, Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. And in the Nasby translation, he said to them, because of the littleness of your faith. And in the uh, Good News translation, Jesus said to them, because you haven't got enough faith. And now anybody that's left in the church is offended and gone in today's world. Uh, but Jesus doesn't care. You know, he emptied out the church before um, when he was speaking about another subject. And at least his disciples were smart enough. And they said, Jesus, because he said to them, are you going to leave me as well? And he says, no. Peter says, no, Master, we, we, we're not leaving you because we, we, we don't know where else to go. And we, we know that you have the words of truth. All right. So in order to hear, to hear truth, we need to fortify ourselves and we need to become unoffendable people because the devil will trip you up by getting offended and move you out of the will of God just like that. All right. So anyway, that wasn't the subject of our discussion this morning. Uh, I shall move on very, very quickly. He says, because uh, you haven't got enough faith. Again, this is not a phrase that we would use today. Um, and uh, even though it would apply in some people's lives, uh, I feel that uh, for a lot of church folk today, there is faith there, but many don't know how to use it. Uh, but Jesus said to them, he says, because of the littleness of your faith, you could not move this demon. Now, in the parallel story, in the parallel account of this story over in Mark's gospel, so it's mentioned in Matthew's gospel, it's mentioned in Mark's gospel, it's also found in Luke's gospel. Now in Mark's gospel, uh, we are told that this demon was called a mute spirit. Um, the father called it a mute spirit. All right. Um, then Jesus, uh, in fact, let me back up. Uh, uh, it was also called an unclean spirit uh, by uh, Mark, who wrote the gospel of Mark, he said, he said this unclean spirit, and he referred to it as the spirit, um, and, and the father called it an it, and he called it a he one other time. So definitely referring to an entity, definitely to, referring to a personality, to a demon spirit. We're not talking about a mindset. We're not talking about some state of mind. We're talking about a demon spirit that was harassing this boy. And of course, Jesus directly addressed it as 
deaf and dumb spirit. Um, and then he concluded this deliverance session, and that's what it was. It was a deliverance session. He concluded it by saying, this kind, this kind of demon does not go out except by prayer and by fasting. Now, I'll speak about that a little bit more later on because I think it's important that we don't get, you know, the wrong end of the stick here, uh, so to speak, uh, and we will come back to that. But anyway, Jesus has been talking about fasting before, and now he mentions fasting again as he's training his disciples to get ready for, you know, taking over the ministry and get ready for doing whatever God had called them to do. Now, how many of the disciples of Jesus Christ do we have in here this morning? All right. So if you're born again, you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. What applies to these uh, boys here, to these 12 disciples, applies to us today just the same. Let me submit to you, and this is in your outline. And once again, for the folk who are watching this, uh, uh, this recording on YouTube, there is an outline link just below your screen there where you will be able to download the outline uh, to help you. Fasting is a normal and vital expression of our faith. When we say fasting, we're not talking about something extraordinary, something optional. Um, and, uh, you know, the New Testament presents fasting and prayer as a normal practice of every Christian. All right. Um, and uh, let me say this, that uh, people who fast regularly, fast often, usually don't talk about it. All right, because it's a little bit like one of those things, you know, like giving. You know, Jesus says, if you give, he says, don't make a great big fanfare. He says, don't let the left hand know what the right hand is doing. Just give it and give before the Lord rather than trying to impress people. Well, fasting is, in a sense, a similar thing. And those who always harp on about how much fasting they do, they're probably not worth listening to because they're bragging about their fasting. All right, so this is one of the reasons why we don't hear more about fasting in the Christian world, and I guess it depends on what environment that you're in, um, but certainly fasting uh, in the New Testament is presented as a normal practice uh, for every believer. In the, fast, in the Bible, fasting is always coupled with prayer, all right? Now, we know we have people today who would fast for health reasons, and I'm, that's fine, you know, I have no problem with that one way or the other, uh, and there's definitely health benefits for fasting if you do things in, a, in the right way and in a certain way, but that's not what we're speaking about. We're talking about fasting and prayer, all right? The New Testament speaks fasting and prayer, not just fasting, not just prayer, but fasting and prayer. You know, down through the ages, uh, believers who have done great things for God were men and women who fasted regularly. All right. Um, I've read after some of the fathers of the faith. I've read after different people um, and mostly ministers uh, who have fasted and who have done great exploits for God. But again, the misconception that could arise uh, in that type of setting is that it's only the ministers uh, who fast, but the Bible actually speaks about every believer fasting. Um, now, fasting, and in the little star there speaks about prayer, is a way to humble ourselves before God. Why do we fast? Well, one of the reasons is we humble ourselves before God when we fast and pray. Fasting doesn't change God. 
it changes the person who fasts. I just want to give you some basic things. Some of you have heard teaching around fasting before. Some of you have, you know, done some reading around it. Uh, but others of you have never heard it before. I'm just wanting to lay a little bit of foundation before we move on from there. So sometimes people say, well, I'm going to fast, and then, and then, and then God's going to move. And Well, fasting doesn't change God. Fasting changes us. All right, and sometimes before God will move in a certain situation, we need to change. He doesn't need to change because He said, "I am the Lord; I do not change." All right, is that Malachi chapter three, verse eight, verse six, uh, in that area there? He says, "I am the Lord; I do not change." Now here we go. Fasting challenges the flesh, elevates our spirit, and sharpens our faith. So that's what it does. It it really challenges the flesh. It elevates our spirit, and it sharpens our faith. Now, the Bible says that faith comes by hearing, but that faith that we have does not necessarily increase when we fast, but it'll become sharper. So there's, I don't know how to describe that. Uh, uh, but anyway, that's one of the things that, uh, that we, we learn as we study around the area of fasting. And then last point there in your outline, one of the goals of fasting is to learn to live the fasted life. All right? There's no point, and as I say, sometimes people have done a lengthy fast. They try to impress everybody by telling everybody about it, but they haven't reached the place of living the fasted life. What is the fasted life that we got control of ourselves? Uh, we know how to say no to things. Uh, and by the way, when the Bible speaks about fasting, it is specifically speaking about um, abstaining from food. Um, a certain type of fast speaks about abstaining from food and water. I would not necessarily recommend that. Uh, the Bible speaks about the Daniel fast, which was a vegetable fast. It speaks about an Esther fast. Uh, Esther fast, if my memory serves me right, was three days, no food, no water. Uh, probably not a good idea unless God insists that that's the type of fast that you should do. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and otherwise, you know, today we say that sometimes it's even fasting, say, fasting television could be a type of denying ourselves. Fasting sugar. <laughs> All right. Fasting our favorite food uh, that we like to indulge in. Uh, sometimes people got various food addictions and various other. It's fasting those areas to reach the place called the fasted life. Um, and uh, I want to put some scriptures to some of these points, and then I want to move on to, from there, and then I want to talk to you about three things that don't come out without fasting and prayer. So first of all, Matthew chapter 9, verse 14, the disciples of John came to Jesus saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the, can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. So when Jesus' disciples were with him, they did not fast, uh, but he Jesus said to them, he says, he says, now the bridegroom is still with them, referring to himself. But when the bridegroom is taken away from them, then they will definitely fast. Um, and of course, in a sense, the bridegroom 
uh, will come back one day, but he's still not with us physically. Uh, and so we fast. Uh, when he says, then they will fast, Jesus was making reference to every believer down through the ages from the time that Jesus went, went to heaven to the time that he will return. First uh, Corinthians chapter 7, verse 4, uh, there's an interesting passage of Scripture here where Paul, the apostle, speaks into the lives of married couples. And he says, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time. Do not deprive one another. And Paul is speaking about the sexual relationship between a husband and a wife. That's specifically what he's talking about. He says, do not deprive one another except for a time and only with consent. Um, and he says that you may give yourself to fasting and prayer and then come together again, insert in brackets, sexually Come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. All right, so the Bible does not specifically address ministers here, apostles, prophets. It just speaks about husband and wives. And it is assumed that husband and wife will at some point fast uh, during their married life. And Paul says during that time, he says you will do that for a time, um, and then, but then come together again. So what we see here from the Bible, that the only reason why a husband and a wife ought not to have regular sex with one another is while they're fasting. All right, now I'm going to move on very quickly, because um, that's not what we're talking about here this morning. I'm just trying to give you some scriptures that would indicate that fasting is considered normal in the New Testament for every believer. Ezra chapter 8, verse 21. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava, Ahava, if I'm pronouncing this correctly, that we might humble ourselves before our God. So what does fasting do? Amongst other things, it is our way of humbling ourselves before the Lord. And here's Ezra. He says, he proclaimed a fast there to seek from God the right way for us and our little ones and for all our possessions. Now, Ezra was an Old Testament priest a, a scribe, an expert in the law of Moses, a preacher, if you like. He was up in Babylon during the 70-year exile that the, you know, the exiles that were carried away from Israel, from the country, the nation of Israel, up into Babylon and resettled. And then the king at the time said to them, look, he says, why don't some of you go back again and rebuild the temple uh, and then rebuild the wall? And there was Ezra, there was Nehemiah to rebuild the wall, Ezra to rebuild the temple, and so forth. And then Ezra said, he says, I was too embarrassed to ask the king to send a contingency of soldiers with us to protect us. So he says, we decided to call a fast and to call on the name of the Lord. Uh, he said, to humble ourselves before God and to seek from Him the right way. There is a phrase in there that fasting helps us to seek the right way before the Lord. When we got a choice before us, a career choice, a choice of should I marry this person or, or that person, uh, you know, we got choices, then we fast and we seek the right way before the Lord for us and for our little ones. 
because they came back not only themselves, but they brought their families with them and their little ones. And sometimes a father or a mother may uh, enter into a period of fasting for his family, for his little ones, uh, if something is going on, to get the will of God established uh, and so forth. And then he says, and also for our possessions. Of course, uh, Ezra carried considerable amounts of gold and silver and precious things with them, and they wanted to have a secure journey. Uh, and so they proclaimed the fast and called on the name of the Lord to give them a prosperous journey to guide them uh, and to protect them so that because they didn't have any soldiers with them and travel in those days was very precarious. Joel chapter 1, verse 14. It says here, announce a holy fast. Tell the people not to eat anything. Gather them together for a special service. Send for all the elders who live in the land. Have them come to the house of the Lord our God, and let's pray to him. Now, this was during a time when things did not go very well at all for Israel. There was a famine in the land. There was disaster economically. There was disaster agriculturally. There was disaster with pests going through there and swarms of, of uh, locusts that stripped the land. It was just a mess. Uh, and so uh, the prophet here speaking on inspiration of the Lord, and he speaks to the priests. He says, all right, you priests. Why don't you call for a fast? Announce a holy fast. Um, and then they used to talk about, you know, consecrate yourselves. Uh, a term that Pastor Vanessa used earlier on as she was encouraging us prophetically. To consecrate means to set yourself apart and, and, and come aside. And then, and then, you know, let's have a special service. Bring all the leaders together. Bring everybody into the house of the Lord because we got a problem on our hands and let's entreat the Lord. All right, so that's what was going on right there. Now, let me speak a little bit about um, my own personal fasting experience. Um, and this is not about bragging, but this is about encouraging you. You know, Pastor Vanessa and I have done quite a bit of fasting uh, in the early days of our walk with the Lord while we were in Bible college in the early days of planting our church and um, and one of the reasons was, it's already been described here, you know, to get a handle on our own selves, to get a handle on the flesh, and to trust God for breakthrough. Uh, you know, in Bible college, uh, I've said that our society is such today, and this is just an opinion of mine, I could be wrong. But sometimes people are saying, I'm going to go out and I'm going to plant the church. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. Unless that somebody is definitely called of the Lord. And unless they have a very strong anointing on their lives, and, and unless they've prepared themselves with, amongst other things, been fasting and praying, praying, it's very difficult for them to make it in ministry. Because society is so unfriendly now towards Christianity, and our society is so filled with so many voices. And there's so much going on today that uh, even government has become Christian unfriendly uh, and, and, and so forth. There's so many things going on that to get breakthrough. You see, one of the reasons why we fast is to get breakthrough. First in our own personal lives and in our family, and then to get breakthrough in the environment that God has called us into. Uh, and so as I said, we've done quite a bit of fasting in the early days, you know, short fasts, uh, longer fasts. And... Uh, 
we had a, a connection in the early days in the life of our church, in fact, even prior to that, with an organization, Christian organization called Feed the Hungry that was raised up by Dr. S uh, Dr. Lester Sumrall, Apostle Sumrall. Uh, God had given him a vision while he was in Jerusalem there, and some of you remember it, some of you know it. We as a church became a supporter of Feed the Hungry, um, and Dr. Sumrall, on instruction from the Lord, said to encourage the Christians to fast every Friday for breakfast and for lunch and to give the money that they would save by not eating, to put that into Feed the Hungry, and collectively he's able to feed hungry Christians around the world that haven't got the option of saying, will I have breakfast today or not have breakfast today because there's no food there for them to eat. So we got on board with that. Um, and here's my personal experience. As I said, I've done other fasts, uh, uh, you know, shorter ones, longer ones, but we found that a weekly fast was the best to help us to get a handle on some of our issues in our own lives, uh, you know, character issues, uh, you know, cravings and certain things. Because here's what's happened. Uh, um, on, when we first started out, um, we said Friday, okay, so Friday morning we're, we're fasting. So we, we get up on Friday morning, we forget, and next minute we almost got breakfast in the mouth. Oh, no, it's Friday today. Uh, so what it did was it make, made us a little bit hesitant each time we put the spoon to the mouth, so to speak. And, uh, <laughs> and, and uh, as I say, faster comes around every week. And you know, Friday doesn't work. People can pick another day. It doesn't really matter. There's nothing all that holy and religious about a Friday fast. It could be a Thursday fast. It could be, you know, another day. It doesn't matter. But a weekly fast, I found, was uh, advantageous for us. And it was better in terms of getting a handle on ourselves uh, and, and, and so forth, rather than a long fast and then indulging for the rest of our lives. How many of you know what I'm talking about? All right. Uh, so um, in the latter part of last year, um, God began to stir up in my heart again and reminded me of our Friday fast, and he instructed me to get back to the Friday fast. Uh, same as what Dr. Samuel encouraged us, fried fast for breakfast and for lunch and don't eat anything until dinner time. All right, and so I've tried to keep to that faithfully. Um, I'd messed up a couple of times. Next minute, I got food in my mouth, and then, oh, no, it's Friday today. And then a couple of times, you know, depending on if we got a function on on Friday where I'm, you know, invited to, and then it would be considered, you know, possibly not right if I don't eat. So I fast on another day during the week and I eat on Friday. Let's not get religious about these things. But I'm encouraging, I'm sharing that with you to encourage you to join me. Let's fast together. Let's have a, a fast day a week. Um, and, uh, and specifically, as I said, people are at various stages in their walk with the Lord. But one thing that really is beginning and has done for some time is that we need to see more people saved in our church, in our city, in our nation. And my fast goes towards uh, praying for lost people because, as I say, we, yeah, anyway, uh, I think this is very, very important. So I'd encourage you to join me. Let's fast on Fridays for breakfast and for lunch. And depending on what's going on with your life, uh, and uh, what's happening is some people have difficulty fasting because of a medical condition, and other people have difficulty fasting because of a demanding work situation. Do what you can, but join me for a one-day fast, and when I say one day, uh, is not eating until dinner time. Now, I'm aware that some people, um, possibly even people in our church, uh, there is a, a new 
health idea around where it is proposed that you only eat once uh, a day, and that would typically be dinner. Um, and some people are already doing that, but they're not doing that for spiritual benefits. They're doing that for physical benefits, which is fine too. If you're already doing that, then figure something else out. All right. Uh, join me and let's fast together. Praise God. I remember I was working before I left the secular uh, marketplace and, and to sort of dedicate myself fully to the work of the Lord and, you know, working in the church and so forth. I was working at a hotel in, in Wellington there and... Uh, and uh, I was fasting for some days, and uh, that was working in the catering industry and, you know, food, preparing food. In fact, at one stage, I was buying food, preparing food, serving food, uh, doing function catering for, you know, for weddings, for breakfasts, for business lunches. Uh, did a couple, of, a couple of catering functions for, you know, government prime minister at Vogel House here when it still was occupied by our prime minister. And so that was the area that I worked in. And uh, I remember one day I was assigned into the uh, butchery department uh, to work with the butcher there because he got behind. And of course, butchery was part of my training, a little bit of training anyway. The butcher was a really nice guy, and uh, I tried to reach out to him, and so we were chatting there. And so one day we were playing a little game that, you know, in the butchery there, there was a big uh, set of scales there, a commercial set of scales that would go up to several hundreds of kilos, because when you're, you're dealing with, with meats and so forth, things have to be weighed. So we, we started to weigh ourselves in every day. Um, and so uh, I jumped on the scale, and uh, we noted the, the weight, and then he jumped on the scales, and we just had a little fun. We had a moment of, you know, time, and so we had a little fun together. He's a bit of a chubby boy, um, and so he weighed in a bit heavier than me. Um, anyway, here's the funny thing. The next day when we weighed in, and I remember I'm on a fast, um, and when you're on a fast, you lose weight very quickly, but it's mostly fluid. So for those of you that go on this crazy crash diet, and you're so encouraged because you lose uh, a pound, almost uh, th three quarters of a pound a day, it's mostly fluid. Because when you start eating normally again, you gain it all back again. So, okay. So anyway, so here we got on the scale. The next day I got back on the scale, and I'm, I'm uh, three quarters of a kilo lighter. He says, he says what's happened? So I was, I don't know. Uh, I didn't tell him that I was fasting. And anyway, so we carried on. The following day, I'd lost another pound, uh, another half kilo. I says, what are you doing? <laughs> anyway, I'm saying all of that to say that I understand what it's like to do physical work, reasonably heavy work, and to fast at the same time. Uh, and, you know, there is a certain set of days, a couple of days, where, where energy is down. In fact, I remember I had to walk up the stairs, and on the second day, it got me. And on the third day, uh, it, it was not too fantastic, but on the fourth day, I was okay. And I was going up the stairs, and I just made it to the top, and, and you're like, oh, gosh, and then I slowed down, as I said, because when the body switches over from feeding on food to feeding on its own, uh, and then mostly on fat, you know, there is a moment where when energy is down. I'm sharing all of that, just some practical understanding um, as to what to expect when you fast. And by the way, it's a good idea to drink lots of water, um, because people get headaches when they fast in the early days, and you can avoid that largely by drinking a plentiful amount of water. So I'd like to announce a Friday fast for our church indefinitely. Uh, and as I say, we might do something different at the end of the year, but for now, I feel that that would be really cool. I don't want to make it a mandatory thing, but I'm encouraging you. I'm saying, join me. 
Let's fast together. And as I said, we've got a group of people that are serving here on a Friday, you know, with toddler hop and there's food involved and everything. Pick another day. Don't get religious over it. And, and we're not here to judge one another because each person deals with their own fast rather than with another person's fast. Now, very quickly, I want to speak to you about letter B, three things that don't come out without prayer and fasting. Three things. Um, the first one here, we've already uh, read uh, about this demon. I want to comment a little bit, and then I want to move on to the second one and to the third one. The first one is based entirely on Scripture. The second one, um, and to a certain extent, the third one is more based on my personal experience. Uh, and I want to share a little bit more. And as I said, it's not in any way about bragging, but I, I want to just share you know, some of my experiences uh, in fast. It's just interesting what happens when you fast. Here we go. Point number one, Jesus says, this kind of demon, uh, this one does not come out except by prayer and fasting. Now remember, the disciples had cast out demons before and were okay, but they couldn't shift this one for some reason. And Jesus said, well, this kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting. I was listening to a minister many years ago now, and he insisted that Jesus, when he said this kind doesn't come out by prayer and fasting, that he wasn't talking about the demon, he was talking about the unbelief. But no, no, Jesus was definitely talking about the demon. He says, this kind of demon here, and of demon, is I've inserted that in brackets. He says, it doesn't come out. Now, here is what you and I need to understand. Um, the power to cast out demons is not primarily now fasting and prayer, but in the name of Jesus Christ. So when you're in a situation where a demon needs to be cast out, don't become a hesitant. Oh, I haven't fasted and prayed, so I can't cast the devil out. Just go for it and go after him and cast him out, okay? Because in the end, the power is not in our fasting and in our prayer, but in the name of Jesus Christ. So I don't want us to get the wrong end of the stick here, but here's the deal. If our faith is weak, we have difficulty dislodging evil spirits from the lives of people. And here, Fasting and prayer, before we said this, it'll sharpen our faith and help us to operate at a higher level of authority through the name of Jesus Christ. You know, demon activity, let me just say this before we move on to the second point. Demon activity thrives in loose, permissive, and indulgent societies. And we could carry on with that same line, and we could say that demon activity thrives in loose, permissive, and indulgent homes. Demon activity thrives in loose, permissive, and indulgent people's lives. God wants us to get a handle on our own selves. He wants us to get a handle on our home life. He wants us to get a handle on our environment that we are in charge of our own environment rather than the devil being in charge. You know, the more, and again, it's in your outline, but the more accepting we become of alternative and ungodly lifestyles and illicit sexual expressions, the more demons will roam our lands and inhabit and enslave people. And I'm having a sense, and some of us are having a sense, and I'm having discussions with some of my pastor friends and ministers of the gospel that we are expecting a harvest of souls to come in 
into God's house, into the church to, to get saved. But once they get saved, they need cleaning up. And there will be much deliverance going on. We will be casting out devils out of people, devils of addictions, alcoholism, drug ab abuse. We, we're going to cast out uh, uh, unclean spirits out of people that have lived in illicit sexual lifestyles. Uh, we'll be casting out homosexual spirits, lesbian spirits. We're going to cast out fornication spirits, adultery spirits, because all of that goes on in society. And when these people get born again, they need to be delivered. People say, well, what's the difference between fornication and adultery? Fornication is sex before marriage, and adultery is sex while married with somebody other than the person being married to. That's the difference between those two, and there's devils for all of that, all right? And they will all be cast out because otherwise, but they're roaming our lands, and uh, one of the biggest tragedies of what's happened to societies is when when people believe the lie that the devil himself tells, and he, that he doesn't exist. The devil doesn't exist. Demon spirits don't exist. And I, see, I think that's one of the most damaging lies that there is. Some people got demon harassment in their lives. They're not possessed by devils, but they're harassed by devils. Some people got demons assigned to their families where this demon is harassing this family over and over and over again. And my sense is that this one does not come out except by fasting and by prayer. And so I encourage you, my brother and my sister, fasting and prayer is not already a part of your spiritual practice and your routine uh, included. Uh, and uh, as I said before, you, you, you know, it's not about an optional thing as much as people saying, well, I'm not a preacher, so why do I need to fast? You qualify because you're a Christian. All right. Point number two. Let me move on from there. He says, the second point is uh, unbelief. So Jesus was definitely referring to the demon. He says, when he says, this kind does not come out except by fasting and by praying. Um, but at the same breath, he referred to his disciples' unbelief as a reason for their inability to cast out the demon out of the boy. And uh, the father of the demon-possessed boy cried out, and he said, Lord, I believe, but please help my unbelief. Here in Mark, Mark's gospel, the same story, but told in a different gospel, Mark 9, 23, Jesus said to the Father, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. So in other words, this deliverance thing going on here, it's a faith issue. It says, if you can believe. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. You know, when parents see their little ones suffer, like this father has seen his boy suffer, he's desperate by now. It's like he's saying, Lord, I'm trying. I believe. He made a confession. He says, I believe, and please help my unbelief. And you know, friends, I have a sense that this describes the lives of many Christians. They believe but they need help with their unbelief and get it out of their lives. You know, unbelief really rears its head 
when we fast and pray. It's like you have never known how much unbelief is in your life until you start fasting. Let me tell you my personal experience. That's why I say them. And the first one, the first of those three things that don't come out by praying and fasting, the first one's definitely in Scripture. The second one is probably more my experience, though I can see it in the Scripture as well. When I started fasting, um, and, um, you know, you set yourself, say, I'm going to fast for three days. Well, on the first day by afternoon, I'm already giving up. Uh, too much. Can't do it. Where's uh, food? You know, like, uh, but it's a little bit like, you know, when, when you do other things, like giving up smoking, for example. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter how often you fail. In the end, you get there if you have another goal. So don't discourage yourself and don't beat yourself up and do not let the devil beat you up. If you start to fast, you've never fasted before and you cave in by the afternoon. All right. So, and then I make it to the second day. And by now, the flesh is screaming like, ah! You know, I'm just telling you what I'm hearing on the inside of me. The flesh, ah! You're killing me. Oh, I'm dying. I'm dying. I said, that's the whole point. We want this thing to die in our spirit to live. And then, oh, well, why are we doing this? And, you know, it's like it's not that I'm having as much of a dialogue with my flesh, but, but I'm just want to humble myself before God. We don't even believe this stuff. What? Now, I was really surprised that unbelief reared its head on the inside of me that I was shocked. I was shocked what I was hearing. Like, Where is this coming from? Well, there's nobody around. It's all in here. It all sits in the flesh. And until you challenge the flesh, it'll just be quite happy to ride along and, you know, control your life. But when you put your foot down and say, all right. We're going to put that flesh under now. We're going to confront this thing. We're going to ride it like you'd ride a horse. The flesh, you know, you can never get rid of the flesh, but you can ride it like a horse and put a bit in its mouth and say, we're going this way and we're going that way. And the body, and the body's not the flesh, but, you know, the, the flesh sits in the body. Uh, the body is going to do what we tell it to do. And the body will not tell us what to do. It's interesting that when God created Adam and Eve and he placed them into the Garden of Eden, he made them what we are today, spirit, soul, and body. And Adam ruled his life out of his spirit. And he had a soul with which he used to communicate with God, you know, spoken words and express his, his feelings and his mind all sitting there. And he had a body and he was in charge of his body. When Adam fell... And he got disconnected from God. The devil came into his life and flipped this whole thing upside down. And now the flesh is in charge. Uh, the fallen nature is in charge. And uh, as I say, you know, it's, uh, I mean, I've been there. You know, people don't, don't believe me hardly today. And I don't know why. Because I'm no better than anybody else. I'm not trying to make out. But, you know, I used to smoke uh, cigarettes, and then I promoted myself to uh, roll your own, and for a while there, I was, I was even had a couple of cigars, smoking like a chimney. I was, I was a chain smoker, um, and, uh, and it's like, you know, while that goes on, God says, Adam, I put you into the Garden of Eden. I want you to take dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, over all the beasts of the field, and over all the plants, and now the plants got authority over people, because tobacco is a plant. All right. And weed, when people smoke weed, it's a plant and it's got authority over people and it's not right. All right. So when people come in, the weed smokers, we're going to cast the devil of weed out of their lives. 
All right. Praise God. I had a bit of an experience with that too. Uh, and not proud of it. Not proud of it. Not proud of it at all. It's just confession time this morning. This pastor confessing his sins to the people. All right. Praise God. Fasting and prayer confronts unbelief in our lives and sharpens our faith. There are times when I get into a prayer meeting of my own and I'm, I like pacing more than sitting down. Uh, I fall asleep if I sit down, so I walk. Uh, and uh, so when I pray and then I try to get, you know, I get a bit enthusiastic and I wave my arms around and I tell the devil and, and everything. But I found when I fast, my faith is sharpened and I, it's, 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 it's just a funny thing. I'm just telling you my experience. This is not a doctrine or anything. It's just my experience. When I fast, my faith is so sharpened and my sense of the authority that God's given me as a man, as a father, a husband, as, as a pastor and whatever else that I'm responsible for, I can walk around with my arms on my back and I tell my, the devil and then my voice and my words alone are enough to get things done because there is a sharpening that takes place. I encourage you, get into that. And lay a hold of yourself, lay a hold of your family, lay a hold of your, 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 your whole lifestyle, lay a hold of your business. Let's lay a hold of, uh, you know, the era of intercession. Let's lay a hold of unsafe people in our nation because we need to get ready. They're coming, they're coming, they're coming. We want them to come faster and quicker and we want to be ready when they come because there is a whole lot of discipleship that will need to go on. Number three, very quickly now. Then afterwards, I'll call the worship team. We're going to, you know, we already had a bit of ministry time, but I think we want to just allow the Holy Spirit to flow again and to, to move from that, you know, segment in our service where we teach and preach the Word to a time of where the Holy Spirit then touches people's lives, uh, uh, you know, in a different way. So number three, deep-seated deep issues of the flesh. Uh, what is that? Well, that's the third thing that in, in, in my estimation doesn't come out except by fasting and by prayer. You know, when we are born again, we make new creations in Christ Jesus. Yet certain issues of the flesh, of the old nature, cling to Christians like leprosy to the leper. They try to get it out of their lives, but it's clinging. It doesn't want to let go. You know, legally... As far as the Bible is concerned, and as far as God is concerned, as far as our position in Christ is concerned, legally, all things have passed away, and all things have become new. But practically, or experientially, many Christians have major character flaws, addictions, and hurts that they carry with them virtually for the rest of their lives. They've just learned to manage that. Uh, you know, it's an interesting thing, but, you know, when we come to the celebration service, you know, we try to present ourselves well, you know, we comb our hair, or if we don't comb our hair, have a bit of a shave, you know, clean ourselves up if we're a bloke, and, you know, the ladies dress up, and, and, and we, we dress up, and, and, you know, we try to look well, and that's right to do that, because we're appearing before the Lord, we're having an audience with the King. But sometimes you would not believe what goes on in people's lives with anger, jealousy and character flaws and issues that are going on in people's lives that are there year after year after year. Are people genuinely born again? Absolutely. But this one does not come out 
except by prayer and by fasting. You know, when we first start fasting, we do a lot of repenting. A lot. By experience, I can tell you, a lot of repenting. A friend of mine, we were fasting together, um, separately, but on, on the fast at the same time. And we came together afterwards and uh, kind of compared notes and see how we went on. And, uh, and he shared his experience. And, you know, he, he's a guy that was sort of around, had been around, uh, played the field, uh, as we say, you know, sold his wild oats before he got born again. And he says, God, could not believe it. Like the, the face of every one of the girls that I've been with came up before me. God helped me repent individually for each one of those for, you know, uh, as it were, you know, to take advantage of them. And can, can I just say this? I do not believe that when we get born again, that we need to repent over each individual sin that we have committed because we would spend, you know, if you have been alive for 40 years and you get saved when you're 40 years old, you're spending the next 40 years repenting. All right, I do not believe that. But if the Holy Spirit brings something up, you deal with it. It's a Holy Spirit thing that you deal with. He says, each one of them, he says, I had to deal with. And then he taught me a couple of other things. We kind of, you know, about food and, and uh, you know, we just laugh together. But, you know, when we first start fasting, we do a lot of repenting, a lot of repenting. Um, our initial fasts are mainly about dealing with the flesh and with its excesses. And, of course, one of the main goals of fasting is to gain mastery over the flesh, to get in charge of yourself to get in charge of your life. You know, fleshly character flaws, such as pride and arrogance and self-confidence, must be confronted and obliterated out of our lives. You know, there's really no room. And sometimes I listen to even ministers of the gospel. There's no room for pride in the pulpit. You remember that pride is one of the original, it was the original sin. The, the Bible says that Satan, when he was called Lucifer, he says, his heart was lifted up in him. So we deal with pride. I know what that looks like because I had considerable pride in my life and I'm hoping that I got most of it out of my life. And that's not a one-time, two-day fast and it's dealt with. This thing just wants to come back and cling to, cling to us like, you know, as I say, if pride is not your issue, then don't worry about it. But perhaps jealousy would be or perhaps anger is your issue. Perhaps there is an overconfidence in your own ability. When we become Christians, you know, it's good for us to be confident people. But the Bible says that our sufficiency, our confidence is in the Lord. And in His ability in and through us rather than, you know, that thinking that we are so wonderful. So, you know, there are some of these areas, and it is by no means an exhaustive list, but sometimes there's arrogance in the lives of Christians. It's just like I, I just sometimes struggle to comprehend. Just the arrogance. How, how come some people are so arrogant? And yet they're born again. They're genuinely born again. But that thing clings to them. This kind does not come out except by fasting and praying. You know what we do in fasting and praying? We do a lot of crying, a lot of repenting. Say, God, I'm so sorry. Please, Lord, cleanse my heart. Deal with this. Deal with that. Lord, I don't want this in my life anymore. And I look at other people that have got such a developed character. and say, God, help me to be like them. I want to be like that. I say, over the years, when SNI, we started to get into, 
you know, church meetings into special meetings, and we've had the privilege of meeting wonderful people, just general Christians, but many ministers, uh, and, you know, and the ministers of the gospel, you know, preachers, pastors, apostles, prophets, when they minister, and I, I sense such an excellent spirit, and I want to get close to them, and I want to have hands laid on me because I want them to impart something of who they are because I need that. That's who, that's who I want to be. I don't want to be who I was. Interesting. Uh, these things need to be confronted and obliterated out of our lives. You know, addictions and other bondages must be broken and destroyed out of our lives. First Samuel, uh, a couple of scriptures and then we're done. First Samuel 15 verse 16. Samuel said to, to Saul, stop. I will tell you what the Lord said to me tonight. And Saul said to him, say on. Samuel said, when you were small in your own eyes or in your own sight, were you not made the head of the tribes of Israel and the Lord anointed you king over Israel? And here's the story, friends, that Saul became the first king of Israel. He was a man that had a considerable stature about him. He was head and shoulder taller than everybody else, but he lacked self-confidence. And when it came to his coronation, he was hiding amongst the stuff, the Bible says. But then he came in, and they anointed him, and he did quite well in the beginning. And then he had a few successes, and he was fighting the Philistines, and started to get, you know, a taste for what power can feel like, and, and he started to get prideful and lifted up in himself. And it was that moment that God sent the prophet, and he says, tell Saul that his days of king are over. He started to do his own thing. He's filled with, with pride and with self-confidence. When he thought he was a big shot, God could no longer use him, but God had used him. And there's something about, you know, when you're in a type of ministry capacity, and then for some of us that have been around for a little while, you can't just rest on your experience. But wherever I go into another scenario, I cannot rest on my experience. I can draw on it, but I can only rest on a fresh anointing, on fresh oil for the moment to do God's job. And the anointing, there's a cost attached to it. You can't gorge yourself on whatever addiction that you're feeding on and expect to have an anointing develop because the two are fighting each other. Micah chapter 6 verse 8. God has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require from you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God. Here it is. Three things. Do right. Do justly. Love mercy and walk humbly with your God. And finally, 2 Chronicles 4, uh, 7 verse 14. And this really encapsulates some of the areas that we've talked about in just one verse of Scripture. God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. How we do that? Fasting amongst other things is a way to humble ourselves before the Lord. Lord. And we pray and we seek his face and we turn from our wicked ways. How do we turn from our wicked ways? We repent. We address things in our lives, and we don't just do a, a wholesale repentance. So, Lord, I repent for anything that I've done wrong. Lord, I repent of this. Lord, I'm sorry for that. Lord, get this out of my life. I'm sorry for having acted in this way or having, having these thoughts in my mind. You know, the Bible says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God. Thanks for watching Victory Christian Center. 
For more content, please subscribe to our YouTube channel or you can subscribe to our podcasts on Spotify, iTunes or Google Podcasts. Check out our website at victory.net.nz. We'll see you again soon.